the middle of a sermon. We ended last week after point one. So go with me in your bulletins, if you would, or on the PowerPoint, and we'll continue the thought on this text from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Let me read it to you. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Last week I began with a statement on how religion thinks. I've changed it. I want to read and kind of start that way again. Religion says, your value to God is found in your holiness, in your obedience, your value to God. It uses words like self-denial, which are the very words that Jesus uses But they use it to refer to sort of a modern asceticism, a modern, uh, you know, monkism, if you don't know what the word asceticism means. It's a sign of spirituality. Um, I grew up hearing the phrase, the dirtiest towel wins, taken from Jesus washing the disciples' feet and drying them with a towel. And now, apparently, I'm comparing towels with you. How dirty is my towel compared with yours? The dirtiest towel wins. Um, It focuses on obedience to the traditions that it teaches as applications of God's law. This is what Jesus addresses specifically with the Pharisees in Matthew 15, verses 1 through 3. Why do you break the traditions of our fathers? Why do you break the law of God? Jesus answered. Um, But it focuses on those traditions, the culture that it has created around its belief system. It preaches God's expectations, which are real and valid, but without the relief of the gospel, that Jesus has met every single one of those expectations on our behalf. It is a distortion of the gospel. Those who leave it often turn to a new distortion. It's very opposite. Uh, Those who uh, are breaking free from the weight of legalism often find ways to deny that obedience matters at all uh, in the light of what Jesus has done. Um, I was accused of this when I left my tradition. Um, I had a dear sister, probably one of my wife's best friends, say to me and to her together, uh, going into the Presbyterian church, I think it's just because you want your freedom. You just want to go do what you want to do, listen to the music you want to listen to, go to the entertainment that you want to be entertained by, drink what you want to drink, on and on. I just think you just want your freedom. I can say it had nothing to do with wanting freedom to indulge my flesh. I wanted freedom to pursue my Savior, and if that's the the accusation, I will accept it willingly. Uh, They separate, ultimately, this antinomian, lawless type of person, separates the love of God from the character of God. Thinking that freedom means indulgence or freedom to do whatever I want, they separate the life that they've been given from the life giver, the character of the life giver. And they live bifurcated lives, 
saying that they have no sin. This is the very message of the, of the first epistle of John. There were false teachers in the church saying, Jesus has paid for your sin. You don't need to worry about it anymore. And that's why John says, if you say you have no sin, you lie. And yet, he says that it, love for God produces something. God's love enjoyed, God's love experienced, God's love made perfect in us, actually casts out fear, actually changes us, according to John, into the very obedient people that the law would seek to make us, but it is powerless to do so. The love of God actually pursued in faith, enjoyed by grace, transforms the heart. That's what religion says, the initial part, not the last part there. What does the gospel say? The gospel says that we grow in holiness as we lean into the gospel of grace ministered to us by the Holy Spirit. Last week I focused on life by the Spirit is life with the Spirit. This is Paul's argument. If the Holy Spirit has given you new life, that new life will be consistent with the giver of the life. The life is not your own. It is his life. It is life bound up in him, and it will, it will manifest the character of the life giver. You cannot control that. That is, that is his work. It will be accomplished. That's why Paul can say, I am confident that he who began the work in you will complete it. He will bring it to completion. Um, what is the Holy Spirit doing? How, what is life in the, with the Holy Spirit like? Um, it's just like you got in, just like you received it, just like you walked into the family of God. That is consistently what the Holy Spirit does. He leads you to faith and repentance. You cannot have one without the other. They are two sides of the same coin. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is leading you to faith and repentance. That's how he brought you into the family, and that's how you will live and experience life in the family of God. We focused a little bit on repentance last week. The Spirit confronting our sin, using the behaviors and the manifestations of our desires. Um, confronting that, exposing that. If you look with me in, in chapter 5, Look how Paul, look at the language of Paul in the next two verses, or just in the next verse, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Notice the word works, and then go back up and notice to verse 16, uh, if you'll walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires. These are two different things. The flesh has works. That's the fruit on the tree. That's the evidence of what the root is. The fruit, or what Paul calls the works of the flesh, are evident. You cannot hide them. You can't. Your explosive anger reveals a root. Your lust reveals a root. Your excessive drinking reveals a root. Your escapism with shopping reveals a root. Your indulgence reveals a root. The works reveal the desires. And the Holy Spirit wants to take us from our works, from the works of the flesh, which are evident, 
unhideable, and draw us to understand the desires of the flesh. The Spirit of God helps us to put those deeds of the flesh to death, to actually say no to those things, not by behavior modification or control of our bodies and of our desires, but through the Spirit of God who leads us to repentance. He leads us to an actual turning from our deepest desires, our deepest beliefs, confronting our deepest values. He despises them. He exposes them. He is merciless. Those things are shamed by grace and showed to be the paltry substitutes for the glory of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul, uh, John says in 1 John 4.18, that perfect love casts out fear. When we know the love of God, our fear, which motivates so much of our behavior, think of how many of the arguments in your home have been motivated by fear. Fear of what other people think about you. Fear of how you're being perceived. Fear of how you're being interpreted. Fear of losing control. Fear of just insecurity in the relationship. Can I really trust this person? Fear of being found out. Fear of being weak. Fear dominates so much and motivates so much of our behavior. And the Holy Spirit wants to push fear out with the love and the acceptance that we have in Christ. To know the love of God in Christ Jesus and that fear, when it's pushed out by the love of God, changes behavior. Replaced by grace to know the love of God in the presence of our weakness, brokenness, and shame, our fear dissipates. Our fear moves into affection for Christ. That's not all the Holy Spirit's doing. He's leading us to faith. The Holy Spirit... Paul says, has desires. The Holy Spirit delights in something. The Holy Spirit wants to show you something, not just your sin. He doesn't just want to say, hey, let's, let's look in the mirror for a second. He wants to say, let's look in the mirror, let's address it, it's paid for, it's okay, we can be honest about what's going on in your heart, but now, quickly, let's look to Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you into, to capture your heart, pushing all else aside by bringing you the very glory and goodness of God, the very goodness we sung about this morning. This is why Paul in Galatians is addressing this idea that the Spirit is first confirming our adoption in Christ's family, not because of our righteousness, but because of faith. The life that he has given us springing forth in faith confirms that adoption, and that adoption is the foundational uh, uh, grounding of our acceptance. That adoption happens because we've been declared righteous. Righteousness set over us, sinners, unrighteous people, because of what Christ has done, and now that righteousness becoming who we are by grace. That adoption is a highlight in this gospel. Paul says it's not Abraham's children. It's Abraham's children by faith who are part of God's family. In Ephesians chapter 1, in 
Paul's first prayer. He prays and says, I pray that the Spirit will give you a knowledge of God, will open your eyes. This is what the Spirit desires to do. He desires to assure you of your adoption. He desires to bring you into a knowledge of God, into the hope of your calling, into the greatness of the power of Jesus in your life. It's the very power that raised him from the dead. In his second prayer, Paul says specifically, he asked the Spirit to bring us into the love of God. And I've said this before, I love it, I'm going to keep saying it. It's not just that you would know the love of God. It's the love of God in, through, by Christ Jesus. It's the very love that the Father has for His Son, which He declares on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved Son. This is the one I love. This is the one I delight in. And now you are in Him. God wants us to experience His love for His Son. What glory is that? What delight for God to reveal Himself to us and to bring us into the love relationship that He has with His Son. Greater love has no man than this. And greater love can no man experience than the love of Jesus for his Father and the love of the Father for his Son. And yet, that's the very love we get to experience by the grace of our Savior. The Holy Spirit delights. He delongs. He yearns to bring us into that knowledge. He yearns to expose to us the holiness of God like he did with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. A frightful sight. Angels whose whole existence is to declare 24-7 the holiness of God without break, without complaint, with nothing but delight. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with your glory. That is what the Holy Spirit delights in. He wants the whole earth to be filled with the glory of God. And that includes your heart. That includes you. It includes me. The holiness that Isaiah sees humbles him, causes him fear, and he is atoned for. A coal is placed on his lips, and the angel says, your sins have been atoned for. What hope to look into the holiness of God and to know that our failure has been dealt with fully. That we have an advocate with the Father, as John says in 1 John 2. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins. The Holy Spirit delights, as he does in Exodus 33, to bring Moses into the glory of God, to declare the goodness and the mercy and the faithful judgment of God upon sin. He delights to bring you into that glory. According to Titus, Paul says, he delights to bring you into the goodness and the mercy of God. Paul says that when the salvation of Christ appeared, that the Spirit has regenerated us according to the mercy and the goodness of God. And that's what we get to see and experience in our walk with the Spirit every day. 
This is why Jesus can say in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 11, I'm sorry, take up my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Stop the yoke of the law. That's that's crushing. It's life-destroying. If you think you can earn my favor through your obedience, if you think I need your obedience, God says, then it will crush you. Anyone who tries to be righteous through the law experiences nothing but a curse. Jesus can say, take my yoke. It is a yoke. It is. It is submission to him. It is walking in him. It's a yoke, though. And typically, yokes have two animals in them. We take the burden of following Jesus, and we walk with the Spirit. That yoke is easy. It is light. Why? Because we know our sins are forgiven. We know that whatever the Word of God would reveal to us of the darkness in our hearts, it has been cleansed. It has been fully uh, fully cared for, fully dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that He today advocates for us before the Father. Our sin might humble us, but it does not destroy us. We cry out for grace. We cry out for the Spirit to turn our hearts away from sin to the person that He delights in revealing to us. The Spirit ushers us into the love of God and we experience humility before the Lord and our hearts change. This is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. I witnessed it this week in my dear spouse. Filled with envy for something she did not have. For something God did not give her that she asked for. And her envy was consuming her. And she was withdrawing from people that she was called to love. And then someone spoke truth into her life, an unlikely source. It wasn't me. I'm a likely source. (laughs) Someone spoke truth into her life. I came home from a meeting Monday night, and I had a different woman in front of me. She said, God revealed to me the ugliness of my soul and what was driving all this sinful behavior. And I have called out to him in confession and repentance and for grace to love the people who have hurt me. What a change has transpired this week in her life. I actually wanted her to come and give testimony, but she's home with an ill child. But what a change. The next day she went to work, still mourning, still hurting, but filled with joy, able to love the people she works with, able to love the people who were hurtful and mean, because her heart is no longer filled with the envy that she has. And she said, what happens now, Tim? I need to talk to you as my pastor. That's her way of saying, stop being Tim, be Pastor Tim. She needs to talk to her pastor. I was like, okay, talk to your pastor. She says, what happens now? I said, well, honey, recognizing sin 
is the first. It's the first thing. Now the Holy Spirit wants to show you Jesus. Wants to show you someone who delights in you, who is good to you and merciful to you. He wants to bring you into the very glory of God. He wants you to know the love of God. I said the very things that I had been studying and experiencing in my own life. And that is what the Holy Spirit is doing now, bringing her into the love of God. This is walking in the Spirit. This is being led by the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit puts us at odds with our flesh. The flesh is that old man. It's those sinful desires that, though powerless to control, still influence us. It's the idols that we had before we came to faith that are still the operational, functional idols of our lives. That the Holy Spirit continues to expose graciously, gently, and call us to faith in Christ. That opposition Paul highlights here in the text. Note verse 17. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. The word desires there is typically this word lusts. And while the ESV translates it, the desires of the Spirit, Paul actually doesn't say that. He leaves that blank. He says it this way, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. He does not attribute to the Spirit lusts. But the indication is that the Spirit is against the flesh. That whatever the Spirit loves and delights in and yearns for is the very opposite of the flesh. The way our confession says it in the section on sanctification, it says that there is now an irreconcilable war. And I, by the way, love how the confession says it because it says it just like Paul. This sanctification, this change in us is throughout in the whole man yet imperfect in this life, there abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may yet prevail, may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome, and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness. The very thing that we long for, holiness in our lives, is perfected by the Holy Spirit as we grow in grace. What are the desires of the flesh? The desires of the flesh are self-righteousness, self-protection, pride. We could go down a list of things that we think will satisfy us, that we think will redeem us, that we think will give us approval and value. And the works of those things are evident. You cannot hide them. And so Paul talks about those works of the flesh, which we'll cover And then the fruit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives as the contrast to the works of the flesh. But the Spirit delights, he yearns, he longs 
for you to know God. The Spirit delights to see the glory of God in your life, to see holiness born in your life, to see you conformed to the very image of Christ for the glory of Christ, not for your own glory. Your holiness is His glory because it's His work. It's not yours. He delights in bringing you into the love of God. He delights in revealing Christ to you. I mentioned when Jesus says, take up my yoke. In Matthew chapter 11, listen to what, how Jesus says it. At this time, Jesus declared, notice the prayer, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Take my yoke upon you. Do you see the connection between following Jesus and knowing Jesus and knowing God? Taking his yoke is being in this intimate relationship with him where he is delighting, his spirit is delighting to reveal the hidden one to you. The one who previously was hidden is now revealed. This is the spirit's desire. This is contrary to what the flesh desires. The flesh desires its satisfaction. It desires its control. It desires its pride and its indulgences. The Spirit delights in the Father, delights in the Son, delights in their love affair, delights in their glory, and wants you to delight in it as well. The tension, this war that we experience, Paul says, is actually part of the journey. That's hard for us. It's hard for me. I want the tension to be gone. I want to be rescued. I want to be free. No more struggle with my flesh. No more indulgence. No more failure. I just want to be free. And God says, that, but that's not, that's not how I've chosen to sanctify you. I love the song we sang. You've saved me, right? The way that you've chosen to. The way that he's chosen to. And that includes our growth and grace, our sanctification. This irreconcilable war. I think Romans 7 through 8 is actually the paradigm that we're to experience. It's this wrestling. It's this, the Holy Spirit through the law of God exposing our sin and then taking us to the person of Jesus for his cleansing and forgiveness wrought by his sacrifice on the cross and then building our faith and affection for him. If you have your Bibles, go to Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is that the law is sin? Romans 7, 7. By no means. The law is not the problem. Look at verse 8. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Jump down to verse 11. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me. Through it killed me. So the law is holy 
and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And that sounds a lot like David, doesn't it? Oh, how I love your law. It doesn't threaten me anymore. It doesn't threaten me to have the law expose my sin because my sin's been dealt with. It grieves me. But then the Spirit takes me to Jesus. And you're going to see Paul do, do, do just that. Let's read on. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what was good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become more sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my actions, for I do not, uh, for I do, not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Doesn't it sound like Paul in Galatians? These, this irreconcilable war so that you cannot do what you want to do? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And I love this verse, and I think you ought to highlight this verse, and I think it ought to be the cry of your heart. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Take that to every legalist in the world. Take that to every self-righteous Pharisee in the world and read that verse. Take that to your own heart. Take that before the throne of grace. Father, I delight in your law. I want to do what you delight in. I just don't have the ability. And Experience the transforming power of the risen Christ within you. You can sense his frustration, verse 21, so I find there to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see another law waging war against the law of my mind. Wretched man that I am, verse 24, who will deliver me? Thanks be to God. My deliverance is through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if through the Spirit, verse 12, we put to death the deeds of the flesh, this is the paradigm. This is walking with the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to reveal our sin and then to bring us to a turning from that to the beauty and the glory of God in Christ Jesus. So let me ask, Again, how do you respond to sin in your life? Is it shameful? Does it cause you to run and hide? Do you put on the fake robes of, of the court to try and feign your obedience and feign your loyalty and feign your holiness? Your, your good church clothes? Do you blame others? Well, I wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for you. How do you respond to your sin? It's there. And by the way, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't have any. Houston, we got a problem. Well, the Holy Spirit is gently calling out to you and telling you, hey, this is wrong. There's something behind this. 
When your brothers and sisters in your small group say, man, you were really angry. Are you okay? What, what's going on? And they want to, they, they see the, the works of the flesh, which are evident, and they want to they help you get to the root. What do you do? That was righteous indignation. Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> Maybe. How do you respond to sin? Folks, there, there should be a freedom for us. As people who today Jesus is advocating for, and who today Jesus' blood has paid all the penalty for past, present, and future sins, to be honest, transparent about our failures and our weaknesses, especially with each other, especially with each other. The law does not condemn us anymore. The law does not threaten us anymore. And there's beauty in that. And that's where grace is better than we could ever imagine. It really is. The goodness and mercy of God is greater than you ever imagined. And the Spirit wants to show you that. The Spirit wants to reveal that to you. The Spirit wants you to know the love of God and the grace of God. Your participation is a lot simpler than you think. You say, well, how do I walk in the Spirit? You try and delight in what He delights in. You try and listen to His Word. You pray. Prayer is not about you bending God's arm, right? I don't remember who said this. Prayer is not about you bending God's arm. It's about God bending your heart realigning your heart to his your participation is just the means of grace the ways that god is is providing his grace to you it's crying out in dependence lord i want to but i don't have the power to do it and god says well you came to the right place you came to the throne of mercy to receive grace to help you in your time of need. And I would remind you to rejoice in the progress that you see. It is discouraging in the church. It is discouraging sometimes to see how far we have yet to go in our own personal lives, as individuals, as a group. It is discouraging if we focus on what we have not grown in. That's not where we're supposed to focus. We're supposed to focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Look at the progress He has made in my life. And it is His grace that's made it. Where did your joy go, Paul asked. What happened to your joy? We focus on how far we've fallen short of the glory of God. On how clean our towel is because we're into towel comparison. Folks, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to rejoice in the work of the Spirit in our lives. I pray that the Spirit will give you gratitude for all that Christ is doing for you, even today. Father, thanks for the time in your word. Bless your people with hope, the hope of their calling with a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Bless us to know the love of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Amen.